Always a bit of a struggle with the mask and the microphone kind of situation up here. Um, there's no pop filter on this anymore, so P's and S's might be a bit harsh, and I apologize. Uh, before we hear God's word for us, let's first pause and ask God to open our hearts and minds to what God might be saying in this moment to us through Scripture. Lord our God, you are always speaking and wishing for us to hear your good news today. We pray that through this moment of opening your word, we might be able to hear those words. To quiet any uneasiness or anxiety, worry, stress, any barrier that might prevent us from hearing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, <laughs> right now we are in an election season, and I know that's not news to anybody, and I know for certain that most of us, if not all of us, are looking forward to December, when it's all over, right? But this morning, I want to use the political system and process as a foil to talk about Jesus as a ruler and king, to, to think about his, uh, himself as a, a person, a candidate whom we uh, are to trust in and, and, and also to, so to kind of look at him as a candidate and also to look at his message. Um, so... In order to do that, I think about uh, the political process, and I've seen 20, or no, not in my 20s anymore, 31 years of this. Um, for years, candidates running for public office and their campaign manager, campaign managers trying to set them up well to be most electable. And, and so they'll, they'll start by looking at the candidate's past and any kind of um, problems that they might have there, and if they are a candidate they're gonna support, they'll try to get out in front of PR issues. Um, and then they'll, they'll try to come up with catchy slogans. I think of the one, I like Ike, from when President Eisenhower was around. Uh, campaign managers and candidates tout their Ivy League education and all the money they didn't have to spend because they probably came from really wealthy families. Um, not to mention the stump speeches and other things that, are, that, are, that they do to kind of drum up enthusiasm and energy around their candidacy. And it, it's a lot of work to be certain. And all of that leads to a lot of scrutiny from government organizations, media outlets, and also the public eye. Jesus' own ministry can be seen as a political candidacy and a run for public office. And in order to think about this, I wanted to go into the book of Matthew. Matthew is a follower of Jesus who shared Jesus' life through a narrative that is accounted for in our Bibles. He's writing and sharing this message to people in his community, but also to others who might hear it as the message is shared. And... Matthew is writing to a specifically Jewish context. And he had to take into account this in his writing. Um, for instance, if you were running for mayor of New York City, and I don't know why you would be doing that, but it seems like a terrible job, or nobody can do uh, anything well, it seems, based on the public eye. 
but you wouldn't go out talking about uh, the price of soybeans and the importance of agriculture policy, right? You'd be talking about subway innovations and renewal. So because of the Jewish audience, Matthew is trying to show Jesus is connected to all the richness of their past traditions, important leaders like Moses or Elijah, but he's also trying to show the new thing that God is doing through Jesus. In order to show the Jewish people that Jesus representatives, that might seems a little more relevant. Check, check. All right. I am grateful for this mic. There was a pinging through my microphone, and it was just driving me absolutely bonkers. I don't know if it was bothering you. I couldn't even concentrate up here. Anyway, so Matthew is, is, is kind of like the campaign manager for Jesus throughout his, his story, and he's trying to help people come to the realization that Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. And he does this showing Jesus is worthy of our trust and following him and modeling our lives after him um, by the, the opening chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And he does this through, one, talking about Jesus' heritage and background. Second, Jesus' learning and education experience. And then thirdly, through some challenges that Jesus faced early on. So, so, so first of all, the, the heritage and background. Think about chapter one, that birth story that we all tell around Christmas time. How Jesus had this holy heritage of, of the Holy Spirit creating life in the womb of Mary that brought about Jesus' life. But with respect to Jesus' pedigree, he was kind of like a Kennedy. And I mean that because he came from the lineage of, of David and Solomon, who, for gr as great as they were, they had their own personal indiscretions and troubles. He comes from this great lineage, right? But he also, he, Jesus, knows lowliness and life's insecurities. He was born into the family of parents who were refugees fleeing to Egypt. Remember Egypt, that horrible, terrible place that the Jews had to escape from earlier? So that's his heritage and background. In chapter 3, Matthew talks about his knowledge, his learning, his experience. And sure, he sat at the feet of people who were teaching in the temple, but more than just a human tradition um, experience of learning, he had a holy learning. He was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And I would say that there is no better teacher, advocate, guide, and connection to God than the Holy Spirit. Next, in chapter 4, he, Matthew describes Jesus facing challenges and overcoming those things by making great decisions. In chapter 4 is when Jesus meets the devil, Satan. And it's important because Jesus proved himself worthy by not taking the easy way out when offered power, immediate fame, unlimited access to resources that he distributes. He didn't take the devil's bait. 
through all these things, three things, his heritage, his, his knowledge base, his decision-making in conflict, Matthew sets up Jesus as this candidate worthy of our trust, this perfect representative for God. He has everything. And, and so now, all that there is left is the need to kind of come on the public scene. And Matthew sets moment in a, in, a, in a moment that's similar to when in June 2015, Trump came out and announced his presidency, or in April uh, 2019, Biden came out and announced his candidacy for president. There's a moment in chapter 5, which we'll get to, the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus has this moment, this public coming out of who he is. But before we go further, I, I want to step back and be clear about two things. When we see these candidates vying for public office, we the people are the ones voting to choose them. Actually, the electorals mixed in there. I don't want to get into that. But anyway, there's a way in which we are choosing the candidate and empowering them to office. But when we think about Jesus, it's different because God has chosen his son. And so Jesus is already empowered through the, the Holy Spirit for the office of being Savior of the world. And God put him in place to rule the world, whether, whether we trust that or not. But the second thing I wanted to say is that Matthew, Matthew is writing, again, so that we might seriously consider Jesus' legislative agenda as the Savior of the world. That we might respond to the question, Will we elect Jesus to, to govern our hearts, our lives, and be the trustworthy one for our community here at church so that our community can represent something to the world and other communities of the world? So take those as we consider the, the first major movement when Jesus announces his campaign as Savior, which, like I said, happens in chapter chapter 5 through 7 in Matthew. At this point, Jesus has gone through towns, he's been healing, he's been helping people, and he takes time, and it's noteworthy that this happened, he takes time to step away and begin teaching. It's an important moment that we see Jesus isn't just about using his power, but sharing his power and empowering others, teaching people and giving power to do likewise as he's doing, to invite people into his campaign of healing and helping the world. The very first part of the Sermon on the Mount has a section, a prelude, an introduction called the Beatitudes. And Beatitude is just a very churchy word for meaning supreme blessings. The Beatitudes are specifically a collection of blessings Jesus speaks here at the start of his public ministry, and they're a way of describing who is blessed. And we all want to a good life, a fulfilling life, a life worth recognition, right? Like, I don't think any of us gets up in the morning and says, hmm, my five-year goal Five of goals and an average life that meets subpar expectations. Like, it just doesn't happen. I don't know anybody wake up doing that. And so what, what would you say the measure of a good life is? 
What would, what would mean satisfaction for you? Or to say that you are rich? I want you to think about those things as we begin looking at Jesus' vision for a blessed life. I'm going to read these Beatitudes, and I'm going to break it down into three parts just so it's easier for us to hear and wrestle with. So the first part is going to be God blessing the lowly. The second is going to be um, God blessing those who pursue being holy. And third, God blessing the lowly because they're holy. Let's read this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up into the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came up to him, and he opened his mouth. And he was teaching them, saying, Blessed blessings on the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessings on the brokenhearted, because they will be comforted. Blessings on the little people, because they will be granted the earth. Blessings on those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, because they will be satisfied. I'm going to stop right there. Typically, the translation say, says blessed, and the word blessed in the scripture be. But that doesn't seem to get at the depth of what Jesus is talking about. And the typical word blessed seems to state a fact, like red is the truck that firefighters drive around. As one commentator puts it, happy can seem banal or mundane, and blessed can just seem super spiritual. And so what I think is going on is, is that Jew, Jesus is doing something more. And I believe that these are declarations, declarations of, of empowerment, of help, of assistance, and the designation of God's spirit upon specific people. There's one quote that I, that I had um, from the Bible scholar Dale Bruner, who supplied the translation for the, what I've been reading. He says, Jesus' blessings are a, his way of saying, I am with you. I am on your side. And isn't this good news? That maybe we have doubts, maybe we have questions, maybe we wrestle a lot with what we think about God, but here is Jesus, God in the flesh, saying, I am with you, I am on your side. Let's dive deeper into this, into the people that he blesses. They are poor in spirit. They're those who are sad, those who are weak or who feel powerless, those who are suffered or are suffering injustice. Jesus is saying, I wish to bless you and all others who need help, who are suffering, who need, because they have nothing left. And just think about that for yourself. Maybe you're going through something right now and, and you can identify that or maybe a specific time in the past in your life. Or maybe you know somebody who fits one of those descriptors. Or maybe you don't know 
that person's name, but you see them around town or at work or at school or on the news. And what does that mean that those words are spoken over you, over those people? And I wonder if you can hear those words spoken and realize that God's heart is for anyone who's broken or lowly. I know that that means an awful lot to me, and I hope for you too, both when you're, when you're in low places and for any time, because I think this knowledge helps move the human heart with compassion, not just for us, but also for others. God blesses the lowly, but let's move on to the next. God blesses those who pursue being holy. Jesus says this, blessings on the merciful, because they will receive mercy. Blessings on the pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessings on the peacemakers, because they will be called children of God. Mercy, purity, peace. All marks of a good life, a rich life, a holy life. And I want to say before I get into this, that, that God blesses our striving in these ways. God doesn't bless us when we are perfect and we perfect these things in our life, but our striving and our desire to move toward these things and see these things become fruits in our life. God blesses the merciful. It's one of the biggest themes in all of Scripture. God wants us to know that God doesn't hold trespasses against us, but wants us to experience forgiveness and the transformation that can come when we move beyond our failures. And so God blesses us when we can make that same movement, when we don't hold others in contempt or distance ourselves because of resentment or hold guilt over people's heads. But God desires us to show mercy, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't get mad or deny the hurt that we feel. But maybe God saying God blesses the merciful is important because when we're able to come to a point of being able to forgive and, be, and, and have mercy on others, it's good not just for our hearts, but for the hearts of others. The pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. I think purity has such a, a nasty connotation because of the background of, of harsh religion. But it is such a wonderful concept, purity or wholeness of heart. God blesses those who pursue integrity, who want their inward life to match outward appearances. God wants us to live fully in the homes of our own hearts, which might mean picking up the dirty lying on of our soul. When we pursue purity, it's not just about religious pretentiousness or outward appearances. It's about coming to love who we are and the one God, the one life that God has given to us. Peace. God blesses those who do not stir up quarrels and division. God blesses those brave people who enter into the scary arena of conflict to duke it out in order to find a better way forward, beyond destroying one another, beyond slandering one another on social media, beyond the barriers that we build up. God blesses those who see brokenness in the world and make peace by mending it back together with the thread of love. Blessings on the merciful, 
the pure in hearts, and the peaceful. God blesses all of these because all of them deal with ways you and me and the whole church might serve this world with love. Mercy, purity, and peace, these words really describe Jesus' own ministry, right? The value of these blessings is that they bless our, our striving to follow the Holy Spirit's leading into unknown spaces of showing Jesus' love in the hurting world. But this is hard work, after all, and Jesus knows it, which is why he provided the last set of blessings. God blesses those who are lowly because they want to be, they pursue what's holy. Jesus said, blessings on those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessings on you folks, persecute you and say all kinds of horrible things about you unfairly because of your devotion to me. Rejoice and be thrilled because your reward is in the heavens. You see, this is exactly the way they persecuted the prophet before you. Have you ever tried to share what's going on in your life and the difference it's made uh, because of, of God working in it? with somebody and, and been kind of laughed off, talked about, or, or kind of thought as if you were in a cult? Have you ever done something kind and nice out of the goodness of your heart but had thrown back in your face? Or maybe who here has put thought into how you could love someone or provide for a need only to have it go unnoticed, or, or worse, to be mocked and put down and hated? The point of Jesus' thing is, is surely you share in the, the suffering of the king of the world who had kindness kicked in his face when he was crucified. He warns that this will happen to us too and that for, for striving to, for all these things to pursue peace and mercy and purity, there will be discouragement and anger and sadness and frustration and hopelessness and lowliness that we feel. And in this way, we'll come right back to the beginning where the Beatitudes started, in a low place. But again and again, we come back to God saying, I am with you, I am for you, I bless you. That is the vision of the kingdom that God has provided. So will we elect Jesus to, to be that leader, to trust in that vision for us? Let's pray. Lord, our God, would you, between the words that I've said and the words that have been heard, be powerfully present so that we might know you, so that our hearts might trust you, so that our lives would reflect you, and that the world might be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.